The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. July 14 edition of PFTOT, just 11 days away from the return of PFT Live. Until then, as you know by now, weekdays, for the most part, PFTOT. I'm four for four this week. I've never been four for four in anything in my entire life before today. Doesn't feel much different. Let's get to it. Sean Payton, Barry Jackson, the Miami Herald, dropping a little bit of a bombshell yesterday. The idea that Payton, based upon a source close to the former Saints head coach, would be interested in three teams, among others, but three teams were mentioned in Jackson's item. One, the Cowboys. Duh. Two, the Dolphins. That one was a stunner. Three, the Chargers. Brandon Staley saying, what the hell did I do? The Dolphins and the Chargers really did stand out because first-year coach Mike McDaniel, we don't even know what he's going to do. He could be great. Now, if he is, the Peyton thing goes away. But it puts extra pressure on him to not have a horrible season because, look, we've seen coaches go one and done before. Every time it happens, we've got some old stories that list all the times it's occurred the past 30 years. It happens a lot more than you realize. One year and out. One year and out. It isn't as rare as people think. And if Stephen Ross is hell-bent on getting Tom Brady and Brady's choice is Sean Payton, and remember... Remember, unless you only watch ESPN or NFL Network, you're aware of this. Peyton and Brady were in the process of happening in Miami. The Brian Flores lawsuit filed the same day Tom Brady announced his retirement. That kept it from occurring. It still could happen next year. And if I'm McDaniel, I look at it two ways. One, it pisses me off and motivates me because why are people already speculating on my job security when I haven't even coached a game? On the other hand, He's a grown-up. He gets it. He's very self-aware. He knows what industry he signed up for. All he's entitled to is the money he would be paid for the balance of his contract. If they decide to fire him at any time, that's their business. Any head coach is at the mercy of that reality. An owner who can decide if he or she so chooses to move on from a head coach whenever. Same mindset applies to Brandon Staley of the Chargers. And, you know, I'm excited for what Staley can do as a head coach. He was very controversial last year with his overcommitment to going forward on fourth down. The bottom line is they didn't make it to the playoffs when they probably should have with Justin Herbert. If they don't make it this year and Peyton's available to work with Herbert and it's already being floated that Peyton would be interested in the Chargers, it's not crazy. Look, Peyton's setting himself up to be the target of a land rush. And what's going to happen is as we get into the season and inevitably there will be good teams, which means there will be bad teams and the bad teams owners will start thinking, what can we do to make ourselves better? Oh, how about Sean Payton? And everyone will say all the right things about, well, there's no tampering. There were no discussions. 
That's baloney. Plenty of things happen unofficially. Plenty of things happen away from the public eye. There's plenty of stuff that goes on where these deals are lined up before the official process is activated. We know it if you read Playmakers. And I know it because I wrote Playmakers. In 2019, the wheels were in motion. The pieces were aligned for Sean Payton to become the head coach of the Cowboys. What happens? Well, Anthony Davis, then with the New Orleans Pelicans, decides he wants out of town. Mickey Loomis, who was the VP of basketball operations for the Pelicans at the time he was the GM of the Saints. He's still working for the Saints, but not the Pelicans. He didn't want to be the common link between Davis and Peyton, both leaving New Orleans. So that ended it. It was happening. It was basically a day away from step one, which would have been the Cowboys firing coach Jason Garrett. Step two, engaging in a supposedly open and inclusive and diverse search. Step three, contact the Saints, inquire about the potential availability of Peyton. Saints ask for what the Cowboys knew they were going to ask for. Cowboys agree to give it. Then they approach Peyton, they hire Peyton, and the rest is history. So moving it forward, that's how it would go. That's how it almost happened with the Dolphins. It doesn't get to the point where we're ready to flick the first domino if the dominoes aren't already set up, and they were. The Dolphins knew what it was going to take to get Peyton. The Dolphins knew what they were going to have to pay him. The Dolphins had an idea what it was going to take to get Brady. They're getting ready to introduce him as a minority owner of the team. It was all going to happen until Flores filed his lawsuit. So Dolphins, Cowboys, Chargers, or anyone else that fits the profile, and there were three factors reported by Barry Jackson. One, a warm-weather team. Two, a team that has a competitive roster. I assume quarterback is going to be a big part of that. And three, Peyton has to have final say over personnel. If that lines up, Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to get Peyton. And he's going to be back in 2023, barring some sort of unexpected development. He was almost back in 2022. And in hindsight, this just kind of looks like the most graceful way possible for him to exit New Orleans at a time when it felt like the window was closing. He wants to go somewhere where the window is open. And he, along with every other coach that has won a Super Bowl, with one franchise is keenly aware of the fact that no one has ever won a Super Bowl with a second franchise. And look, it was emphasized by the source close to Peyton that he's never going to lobby for an open job. Well, you may not have to do it directly. If you just make it known you're available and they come to you, I mean, if they're going to fire their coach anyway, what are you doing wrong if they come to you? And there's only 32 of these jobs, and there's probably only five or six that would fit Peyton's profile. If they come to him, I don't think he's going to say no because he didn't say no to the Cowboys. And we don't know when these conversations started between Peyton and the Dolphins and Brady and the Dolphins. Was it before Brian Flores was even fired? By the Dolphins, there's a lot of stuff that happens that we don't know about. The sausage gets made in a very inelegant way because there's what we see and there's what occurs to make it happen. And you don't just show up and fire your coach and say, well, let's see what happens next. 
Most of these owners have a plan in place ahead of time for exactly who they're going to hire. And that's what the league is trying to get owners away from having that decision already made as to who they're going to hire. So they truly do have an open and inclusive and diverse search. The problem is this burden hand. I'm letting my coach go. Do I know I'm going to get somebody better? I don't know. If you have a plan as to who you're going to get. Yeah. I'm going to fire this guy and I'm going to get Sean Payton. I'm going to fire this guy and I'm going to get Mike Tom. I'm going to fire this guy and I'm going to get John Harbaugh. When you know that makes it easier to fire your coach and most owners before they make a change like that, one of the most important employees in the organization, you want to have a pretty good idea who the next one is going to be. And if you have that luxury, you take advantage of it. That's one of the issues that the NFL has when it comes to encouraging teams to have more diverse searches. But bottom line, expect Sean Payton to be back in 2023. Expect the story to drive the news coverage throughout the season, especially as the bad teams begin to separate Bad teams with good quarterbacks. Those are the ones to watch. Teams that underachieve. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, what do the Cowboys need to do to slam the door on the Peyton talk? And Jerry Jones is trying to slam the door on the Peyton talk. It's funny. Jerry Jones wants to talk about everything else but the Peyton talk because he wants to get behind Mike McCarthy and he's hopeful McCarthy can fulfill the potential that they saw in him when they made him the head coach. I think he's got to do what the Cowboys haven't done since 95. He's got to get to the NFC Championship to fend off the Sean Payton talk. And even then, if they fall short of the Super Bowl, even then, if Jerry Jones knows this is my last chance to ever get Sean Payton and he's going to go somewhere else, and especially if that somewhere else is another NFC team that he's going to have to compete with, that, that could be a factor. So interesting story that will dominate 2022 and it already is hovering over the season as training camps haven't even opened yet. When training camp opens, will Lamar Jackson have a new contract with the Ravens? That remains to be seen. But something else has unfolded in recent weeks. Lamar, love him as a player. You know my opinions by now on whether or not he should have an agent. He definitely should. Absolutely should. He'd have a contract by now. He'd have somebody who's fighting for him when executives are whispering to ESPN analysts that Lamar isn't one of the top quarterbacks in the league because the agent would be filling the executives with examples and spin and argument to say Lamar really is one of the best. That happens. That's real. Those conversations between top agents and executives and coaches happen all the time. And if you've got somebody on your side, it makes a difference. He hasn't had the benefit of that. He also doesn't have the benefit, apparently, of someone who can say, hey, Lamar, put down the phone. We saw last night an extended back and forth between Lamar Jackson and former NFL safety Bernard Pollard, who played for, among other things, the Baltimore Ravens, who won Super Bowl 47. Pollard dared to criticize Lamar Jackson's skills as a passer. Now, the first tweet from Pollard in response to a Ryan Clark observation about Jackson's omission from the ESPN top 10 list. That went unnoticed. The next day on Wednesday, when Pollard started to specifically criticize Lamar Jackson's skills as a passer and pointed out that receivers don't want to play there, that's when Jackson activated. And it was over the top. It was relentless. It was unending. There was so much. Usually, you know, you get a Twitter beef. It's like two or three or four moves, and then it just ends. 
Jackson just kept going and going and going. He would not let it go with Bernard Pollard. So I think you need somebody at the right moment to be able to get to him and say, Lamar, stop, just stop. Because he is creating an impression that he's a little sensitive, a little sensitive. And that's fine. We're all a little sensitive. The question is, do we give in to our sensitivity? And sometimes Lamar does on social media. And I don't know if this is just a product of the generation, but for some kids in that age group, and he's my son's age, and I don't know that my son is approaching social media this way, but I feel like some in that demographic will act like it's some sort of a separate life, like, like it's a Clark Kent Superman thing, like you can be a different person on social media than who you are in life, like things you would never say to someone, you'll say on social media. You know, the way people are when they are sitting inside of a car behind the wheel, concealed only by completely clear glass, all of a sudden you're giving everybody the finger and you, you know, you're all gestures and yelling and screaming, stuff you wouldn't do if you weren't behind the wheel of a car. Social media for some is the 21st century equivalent of driving around in your car, engaging in road rage. The way you act behind the wheel is different from the way you act when you're out of the car. When you're behind the wheel of social media, some are completely different than they would be otherwise. And we're kind of seeing that from Lamar Jackson because we've never seen or heard anything from him in his interactions with people directly that would suggest that he'd be that sensitive and that brutal and that over the top. And he was all of those things last night in his fight with Bernard Pollard. Daniel Snyder continues to fight with the U.S. House Oversight Committee, and I've joked about this in the past, but there was an item in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that caused me to conclude this really may be what Snyder is doing, hunkering down on his super yacht indefinitely in order to avoid being served with a subpoena to testify before the committee. They can't serve him if he's on his boat and it's docked in some other country. They can't serve him if the boat is in international waters. They can only serve him if he comes back to the United States and sets foot on dry land. His lawyer won't accept service of the subpoena, refuses to do so. Lawyers accept service of subpoenas all the time. Why? Because it saves their client that awkward moment. You're sitting at lunch with a colleague, family member, Somebody walks up and hands you an envelope. You've been served. You don't want that for your clients. You just, it, it's inevitable. If somebody's determined to serve you a subpoena, they're going to do it. And it's going to create an awkward interaction. It's going to be embarrassing. I'll just accept service of the subpoena. That happens all the time. It's not happening here. Could it be that Daniel Snyder intends to live on his yacht until January. Here's why. It's widely believed, and this is not a political observation, it's an observation about politics, but the reality is it's widely believed the Republicans are going to retake control of the House of Representatives in the upcoming November elections. Now, who knows where it's gonna go? Everybody is aligning Republican, Democrat, different arguments, different realities, but the belief is the Republicans retake control of the House. When that happens, if that happens, when that happens, the plug gets pulled when the new Congress goes into session in January on the Washington commander's investigation, period. It just does. The ranking member of the committee, the top Republican on the committee has already said 
It's going to happen if and when the Republicans retake control of the House. So all he's got to do is get through the rest of July. And he's already in Israel through the balance of July and into August. August, September, October, November, December. And, and really, I haven't studied this, but I would suspect that in that lame duck period from election day through the end of the year, the committee, if power is transitioning, probably stops what it's doing anyway. So maybe he only makes it to election day and he's in the clear. But if he's committed to this and he's willing to not go to commander's games, you're going to watch him on satellite. Good thing that DirecTV is still on satellite. Although I have a feeling he'd have high-speed internet and would get the Sunday ticket package wherever he is. I have a feeling that if you're a billionaire, you can find a workaround pretty easily and make sure you can see the games of the team that you own. If he's committed to that, living on his super yacht indefinitely, he can avoid the subpoena and avoid having to testify. And I think that may be his best outcome. Look, he's not being criticized as much as maybe he should be for defying the efforts of Congress to try to subpoena him. First of all, people already have their opinion of Daniel Snyder. It's not like anybody is going to view him any worse than they already do. He's already reviled. You can't hate a guy more than you already hate him if you already are inclined to hate him. And it's not like Congress is currently respected. It's not like he's sticking his thumb in the eyeball of God. People don't like Congress. People don't like him. It's just kind of white noise. And the NFL's position is they don't care. I've said this time and again, they're afraid of him. Everybody's afraid of him. And he apparently is afraid of being served because he doesn't want to have to testify. There's no good way out of it, especially if he's subpoenaed and he can't hide behind non-disclosure agreements. So another interesting story to monitor is training camp's approach as August unfolds. Will we see Daniel Snyder anywhere in the United States prior to election day? Is he sufficiently committed to avoiding services of, of a subpoena that he will remain on his yacht. A yacht that is probably nicer than 99.99% of the homes in the world. Tough duty. Floating around on your super yacht in order to avoid being put under the hot light of the House Oversight Committee. I mentioned Sunday ticket very briefly. $3 billion is the latest report on what the rights will cost three billion, not two, three. Apple, according to Puck News, regarded as the most likely winner of the rights. Apple, Disney, and Amazon are the finalists. Three billion a year. Is it really a surprise? I think that they're gonna see an explosion in the number of people that will sign up for Sunday ticket once it becomes a streaming service. Because DirecTV, I mean, they've had some online viewing options, but there's restrictions and it's clunky. And I remember we had tried it in the past back when I had DirecTV and had Sunday Ticket and it never really, I mean, we know how streaming is now, it's easy. You push the button and up it comes and there it is and you watch the game and 3 billion a year for the NFL. And the players, players sharing that equally. So good news for everybody. And uh, 
good news for the people who want a streaming option because it's moving closer and closer to a reality. We're one day away from the deadline for signing franchise tag players to long-term contracts. There are currently four, Orlando Brown, Dalton Schultz, Mike Gesicki, and Jesse Bates. No indication that any deals are going to be done before the deadline. That means that they can only sign one-year contracts. So the players who haven't accepted the tender yet, they could, in theory, have different terms. We've seen that in the past. I think we saw it with Albert Hainsworth and Lance Briggs. Those are the two I remember, where the one-year deal is signed and there's a clause in there that he won't be tagged next year if X, Y, and Z happen. So he gets a straight shot to the open market. And here's the thing I want to say for now. I have more to say about it after the deadline passes. But, but let's remember what the franchise tag is. And this comes right out of Playmakers. This is something I've been saying for years. The franchise tag is a device made available to the teams to keep one player a year off of the open market. In any given year, you can use either the franchise tag or the transition tag to restrict a player's otherwise unrestricted free agency. Franchise tag, obviously, it pays the player a set amount of money if he accepts it. If he doesn't accept it and another team signs him to an offer sheet and the current team doesn't match, the current team gets two first-round picks. That rarely happens. I don't think that's ever happened exactly that way. Usually what happens is there's a trade. The other thing that can happen is the transition tag, which just gives the team a right to match and nothing more. You just get a right to match, no compensation if the player leaves other than your standard consideration for compensatory draft picks. So I say all that because we need to remember this. The CBA has a device for allowing teams to restrict the movement of players. The player would otherwise be a free agent, first day of free agency, maximum pay, hit the market and strike it rich. The league and the union have decided to create this device for every team, one player per year, to say, sorry, you're not going to the open market. Remember that when the player chooses not to sign his franchise tender and doesn't show up for training camp, doesn't show up for the preseason. There'll be a lot of anger directed at him. He's merely simply moving his pieces on the chessboard in response to the big move the team made, the checkmate in advance. Sorry, you've been tagged. That activates a process that gives the player rights. He doesn't have to show up for training camp. He doesn't have to show up for preseason. He's not under contract. And he can show up just before week one and make the full amount of his money. The only risk, they rescind the tender and make him an unrestricted free agent. That's happened three times in the last 20 years. Jeremiah Trotter, Corey Simon, Josh Norman. Now, Josh Norman's was rescinded in April, not long before the draft and Washington gave him a big contract. Washington gave Jeremiah Trotter a big contract when he was rescinded and Corey Simon, it was close to the start of the season. He went to the Colts, not a big contract. The problem is the deeper into the off season and training camp or preseason that it happens, the less money that's out there. Teams have exhausted their budgets. So, you know, the Bengals could do that with Jesse Bates. They could decide that Daxton Hill, their first round draft pick is ready to go. We can clear up 12 point, 9 million in cap space right now. And that's what's amazing. It's 12.9 million for one more year with Jesse Bates in Cincinnati. Hill's contract pays out 11.9 million over four years total. So, you know, ultimately, football is family. 
Anyone who pays attention to this program, PFT Live, PFT, PFT PM, all of our products knows that football is business. And they say football is family because it's good for business to say football is family. Bottom line, the teams make business decisions all the time. Using the franchise tag is the ultimate business decision. And it hurts the player who otherwise would go to the market and get a hell of a lot more on a multi-year deal than what he's being offered on a one-year deal. Just remember that when the player takes advantage of the rights available to him. Don't get mad at the player. The team hadn't used the franchise tag. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. The team made the move that, that kept the player from getting the money that he has earned based upon his performance so far under the contract that just expired. So remember that as we get toward Friday. If none of these guys sign, don't get mad at them. Don't call them greedy. They could have gone to the open market and gotten a lot more than what they're otherwise going to get this year under the franchise tag. All right. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Question time. I don't think there's that many today. Let's see. I think Twitter's been acting up, and that has affected our total load of questions. PFTPM policy. Why does the NFL prohibit players from marketing alcohol? Is it so the booze money has to go through the league slash team coffers instead of players? Similar to how the NCAA coaches and announcers didn't want players to get NIL money because it would hurt their income. You know, I mean, the cynical side of me does say this league's do as we say, not as we do approach to players marketing beer. Yeah, it, it makes it easier for the league to say, gimme, gimme, gimme. It's, you're really not going to get your bang for the buck. We're not going to let you pay Patrick Mahomes to hold a can of beer. He can hold a flashlight that says Coors Light, which is why this topic is relevant right now. It's a workaround for the NFL's rules. But there is a hypocrisy in the league preventing the players from marketing certain things when the league has official beer sponsor, official wine sponsor, official spirits sponsor, seven sportsbook partners. All of the various legal vices are being embraced by the league. And as I said earlier today, it's just a matter of time before they have a marijuana sponsor. It's just a matter of time before the NFL has its first ever marijuana sponsor. You wait and see. All right, what do we have here? PFTPM posse with the Panthers having one of the wealthiest owners in the NFL who appears willing to spend whatever it takes to try to win. Why do they keep getting spurned by the best free agents, quarterbacks, and even head coaches when there's no salary cap or spending limit? Well, wait, 
they, they got Matt Rule when he was ready to go interview with the Giants because they were willing to pay him an ungodly amount. And the Giants said, screw that. So David Tepper's willing to spend. I just feel like his impatience comes through a little bit too strongly. And his desire to just be able to spend his way into relevance and contention, it, it, there's a fine line between that and desperation. I mean, for whatever reason, Deshaun Watson wanted nothing to do with the Panthers last year or this year. He played college football at Clemson. So that was kind of odd. And the idea that they just kind of settled for Baker Mayfield, that they weren't able to attract a top-end talent. It's not like Russell Wilson said, hey, Carolina's the place I need to go. So I, I just think that it can be counterproductive to have an owner who just – it feels like Tepper is just gripping too hard, that he's trying too desperately to turn his team into a contender. And it's got to be frustrating. For folks who have made billions, and he's worth like $16.7 billion, people who have made billions in other lines of work, they come to the NFL and they think that through hard work, determination, force of personality, whatever the case may be, they're going to finagle themselves a winner. doesn't happen that way, in large part because most of the other owners got there the same way you did, except for the ones who inherited their teams. It's not as easy to succeed in the zero-sum game of the NFL as it is in the business world, where a lot of people an unlimited number of people, if they play their cards right, can get really, really rich. All right. Uh, Neil watches PFT. Looks like the much-anticipated white helmets did come for the Bengals. Yes, they are. Which alternate helmets are you most excited for? I'm, I'll, I'll admit that I've got some recency bias with the Bengals white helmets, although I remember when they launched their color rush uniforms, white on white with the black stripes, it's like, man, too bad for this stupid NFL rule that prevents teams from using a second helmet because it would be awesome to see that white helmet with the black stripes. Now, it may be a letdown when we finally see it because we've been waiting for it for five or six years, but that's the one I'm excited for. And I, I like the idea that we've got some throwbacks that are going to be very fascinating. The Eagles with the Kelly Green helmets, the Buccaneers with the Bucko Bruce, the Pat Patriot, but then you've got the Texans going with the red helmet. That that surprised everyone when that dropped the other day. This Bengals embrace of a white helmet. So there's a lot of creativity that teams can apply here. And I, I, any team out there, as I mentioned in the post that we did on the white Bengals helmet, if you don't already have a second helmet, get to work. I mean, football is business. And part of the business is selling stuff. And if you can craft an alternate helmet that people say, wow, you're going to sell a lot of them. You're going to sell them to your fans and you're going to sell them to not your fans. I got a, a collection of mini helmets down in the barn and I guarantee you I'm getting myself a white Bengals helmet. I'm getting myself a red Texans helmet and uh, maybe some of the other ones. I already have the Bucko Bruce down there. I think I already have the Pat Patriot down there. It may be up at the house, but either way, these alternate helmets are awesome and uh any team, as I said, that doesn't have one needs to get one. Neil watches PFT. Does Apple getting the Sunday ticket package spell the end of traditional television through cable or satellite? I don't think it spells the end, but streaming continues to grow and grow. I saw something yesterday. I didn't read the article, but I saw the headline that people in their 50s are actually driving this push towards streaming. I think because the younger demographic already has accepted it, and it's baked in for them, the cord cutter, the term we used to use, 
I think that folks in my demographic are realizing this is easy. I mean, we got rid of DirecTV and went with YouTube TV a couple of years ago and haven't missed a beat other than noticing how much less we pay every month for the channels that I watched then and that I watch now. And it's a lot easier to watch now. And when it rains really hard or snows, I don't have to worry about the signal going out. So people are starting to realize that there is an easier way to go. And you can get TV packages through streaming. You can do the collection of this one and this one and this one and this one. And the NFL is trying to make that transition. That's going to be the challenge. Can the NFL continue its ability to get 20 to 30 million people to all watch the same thing at the same time when it's streaming based versus TV based? And, and remember this, there are still millions out there who rely on the over the air signal from the traditional broadcast networks. That's not changing. There still will be people who have the current edition of the old rabbit ears. Folks my age remember working around it, trying to get that signal. You move it up, you move it down, you pull it out, you push it in, you attach a hanger to the back of the thing, all sorts of crazy stuff, tinfoil, anything you can to enhance that signal. So there's still people that consume their content that way. And uh, presumably that number will be dropping as time goes by. All right, uh, Neil watches PFT again. Between the Texans, Jets, and Jaguars, who has the most wins this next season? I, uh, who knows? The Jets? I don't know. The, the beauty for the Texans and Jaguars is they play each other twice, so one of them can pick up a couple of wins that way. The Jets are in a tough division. I feel like the Jets are in a position to make a move. I, I, I can make an argument for all of them, and I still think that the Texans are going to get Jimmy Garoppolo, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punt on that one for now. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Tommy Caruso, between the Commanders, Cowboys, and Texans, will the NFL ever step up and ban the use of NDAs by clubs in an effort to provide more transparency and avoid potential congressional oversight? This is the one piece of advice from Mary Jo White, who continued to get hired by the NFL to engage in these independent investigations. One piece of advice she gave after the Carolina Panthers investigation following the resignation of Jerry Richardson and sale of the team due to NDA issues was to stop using them. The NFL has never embraced that. NDAs are a valuable tool for corporate business. And there's a difference between, for example, forcing an employee who isn't represented by counsel, who is just in the course of his or her regular workplace activities, to sign off on an NDA. You're not really getting anything for it. You already have your job. And the best time to get anyone to sign anything is their first day on the job. You want the job? Sign all this stuff. They don't even read it. Sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it. And it's one thing, again, to prey on an individual who isn't represented in the confines of not a full-blown piece of litigation to sign an NDA. However, when the person has a lawyer, when a lawsuit has been filed or credibly threatened, and this is not extortion. We've said this before in the Deshaun Watson context. If you're going to sue someone, it's fair game to tell them ahead of time, I'm going to sue you unless we work this out. Let's work this out. If we don't, I will sue you. That's legitimate. But in that setting, either with the lawsuit filed or before it's filed, the person is represented by counsel. And part of the final negotiation includes a request by the employer by whoever the company is that wants this to be secret. 
if the NDA request is made and it's part of what's bargained for as the negotiation unfolds, that is legitimate and it should be respected. That's where I struggle with this whole thing with NDAs. It is a legitimate tool for arm's length negotiations when a current or former employee is represented by counsel and is getting value. You're getting value, extra money in exchange for keeping your mouth shut. And I always get a little nervous when somebody who was represented by counsel and signed a valid NDA and got paid for signing the valid NDA is breaching it. Now, the media outlet owner operator side of me wants that information. The person who wants transparency wants that information. But the recovering lawyer in me gets very nervous about it because silence is part of what was purchased when the claim was settled. So I think the NFL continues to struggle with that because it is a valid way to resolve claims before they blow up into something more significant. Because Look at it this way. The Cowboys, cheerleader situation, 2.4 million paid with an NDA. I, if I recall correctly, the individuals were represented by counsel. That's all buttoned up ahead of time. There's the extra value paid to get it resolved before a lawsuit is filed and before anyone says anything. That's part of the value. And I know it makes people a little nervous because there is a fine line there at some point between legitimate litigation and extortion. And part of the value of the settlement is the case never gets filed. It never becomes a big ordeal. But as long as the claim is legitimate, it's fair game. If it's just made up in an effort to shake down the Cowboys, that's different. But if, in this case, for example, it is legitimate that Rich Dalrymple secretly videotaped cheerleaders while they were changing clothes, look, it just falls into the lap of the lawyer who's handling the case. Hey, I've got a potential defendant here who really doesn't want this case to get filed, so there's settlement value. So extra money is paid to avoid the lawsuit. Extra money is paid in exchange for the promise to keep it confidential. That needs to be respected. And from the NFL's perspective, you want to have that device available because it reduces the number of lawsuits that get filed against teams alleging all sorts of misconduct and making the NFL look bad. I think that's why they haven't taken Mary Jo White's advice. So Again, there's two different ways that NDAs can go. When you're using it to prey upon somebody who isn't represented, to take advantage of a situation, to get them to agree to be quiet and they really aren't getting anything in return, I got a problem with that. But when the person has a lawyer, when the person has a lawyer who negotiates extra value for that confidentiality agreement, that, that's part of the justice you're getting. Something bad happened to me. Something bad happened to me for which I'm entitled to compensation. I have a lawyer who is negotiating for that compensation. And on top of what I'm getting as compensation for what happened to me, I'm being paid more money to not talk about it. And I understand that. The lawyers explained it to me. Do you understand? If you want to have the ability to sit down with Bryant Gumbel or 60 Minutes or write something about it or whatever, if you want to have that ability, you don't take the money. If you take the money, you're giving up that ability. It's up to you. Can't have both. I think once you make the decision to take door number one and take the money and provide confidentiality, you got to respect it. You got to respect it. So I think that's why we're not going to see the NFL eliminate NDAs because it really will put teams in a tougher spot where there's no way to keep this stuff 
quiet because why, why are you going to settle before the lawsuit's filed? If the person can turn around and say, hey, I just settled with the Cowboys for $2.4 million. You want to know what happened? Tune in at 11. All right. Tune in tomorrow for more PFTOT. Thanks as always for some of your time. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. And unless nothing is happening tomorrow, we will wrap up the week with another PFTOT. Trying to go five for five like Dave Parker back in the old days with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll see if, uh, if I can manage to at least beat out an infield single. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.